And we come this evening to think of the creation of the expanse, the atmosphere of our planet. We've thought of absolute creation, haven't we? In verse 1, in the beginning, the beginning of time, of space, of matter, a point in eternity when the triune God chose, decided to make something outside of themselves. In the beginning, that absolute beginning, that beginning of matter and time and space. And we thought of the relative creation from what they made described in verse 2. The earth formless and void. That mass of mud and water soaring through space. The bare materials of earth from which God would create our planet habitable for humankind. And we thought of the first day of God speaking these first recorded words of God. Let there be light, and there was light. And into that darkness, not obliterating the darkness, but subsisting side by side with the darkness, that light, not sourced from the sun, but sourced from unknown source, reflecting God who is light and the rays of heaven breaking down to earth. Light and darkness began to subsist side by side, speaking to us, of that more deeper and eternal light and darkness which characterizes the lives of mankind and will ultimately characterize the destinies of all humankind in heaven or in hell. And we come to the second day, to this progression, this logical and rational advance by God into the formation of the expanse, the atmosphere of our planet. And there's three connections between this second day and ourselves. And and we want to make those connections and pull it into our life and our experience. We want to think of the relation of these verses to our survival. And then... To our souls and then to our Savior. Let's think first of all of the creation of the, the expanse that it aids our survival. The word used in this section for expanse is a Hebrew word which means to beat down, to stamp down. So, so it's indicating that's something that is, that is flat. It's used in Exodus 39 and, and verse 3 in the formation of the, the tabernacle and those skilled, uh, gifted craftsmen, they, they beat down the gold for the tabernacle. They, they made it flat, they, they shaped it. And this is the idea of this word here is something which comes in between the waters which are up above in the heavens and the waters which are lower down on the earth. This area is created. This atmosphere is formed. This expanse is made between the waters above and the waters 
that are below. The English Standard Version in the margin has the phrase canopy. The King James has the word firmament, which comes from the Latin vulgate firmamentum, something firmly put in place. So we're thinking of this area, this canopy, this atmosphere which surrounds our planet, dividing the waters above from the waters beneath. Douglas Kelly explains the word as a kind of horizontal area extending through the very heart of the mass of water and cleaving it into two layers. We were thinking this morning of the the light being formed. And here the expanse allows this, this light to enter into the earth, it brings it in, it facilitates that movement of the light into the earth. But this second day is not looking back so much to the previous day, but looking forward to God's goal and plan in these days of creation. He is preparing this planet for the habitation of mankind. And all he is doing is with that end and goal, we thought that the light was not there for God to see, but to enable us to see. And so it is with the expanse, the atmosphere. He's creating it with this combination of gases. So at the crown of his creation, you and I will have oxygen to inhale. It aids or survival. The discussion around this second day is concerning the waters that are above. What is the place and role and purpose and nature of those waters which have been separated from the waters which are beneath? And a, a range of views and opinions regarding this have been propounded. Henry Morris he propounds that there is this uh, type of water vapor, this canopy which sits or was situated in in the earth's atmosphere. It it was a large uh, mass of water which was placed there and, and he maintains that it is no longer there within our creation. He points to Genesis in chapter 7 and verses 11 and 12 when at the flood The text says that the windows of the heavens were opened and vast amount of water fell down onto the earth. So not only was the flood caused by the fountains of the deep bursting and rising up, but there was this combination of waters coming down from above. Douglas Kelly takes issue with Henry Morrison's position and he raises difficulties regarding it. He argues that this mass of water situated in the earth's atmosphere would prevent the light coming through. He argues it would heat up the earth over much. He maintains that it couldn't be sustained over the centuries. I would point you in the direction of understanding the waters above 
in the sense that they operate today. 4% of the hydrosphere is in the heavens, in the clouds, in water vapor, in ice there. There has and still remains this separation from the waters beneath and the waters above and in between. There is Earth's atmosphere, the expanse, the firmament which God has established for our survival. The troposphere and the stratosphere and the thermosphere. So the expanse, first of all, is for our survival. Secondly, the expanse elevates our souls. This creation of the atmosphere, the expanse, the gases, the different levels of spheres and, and their different natures and combinations, it elevates or soul. And I think there's three ways in these verses that that impact on us can be affected. The first way is the formation of the expanse. You notice the text God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and then verse 7, and God made the expanse. And this is brilliant for us. This is the way God operates. Here he comes and in his tremendous authority and godness, he says, let there be an expanse. Something no king or president could ever utter. But this is God. Let there be an expanse. Something phenomenal, something cataclysmic, something supernatural, something beyond the powers of any created being. Let there be an expanse. And then the text says, and God made the expanse. What he commands, he effects. What he asks, he works. And this dimension of this third day, it elevates our soul. It brings us to God. It shows us how he operates. He doesn't just give us commands and expect us to wrestle with them and get on with them and obey them the best we can and mourn over our failures. But God gives us the grace. He works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. He says to Joshua, conquer the land of Israel. And he enables Joshua to do just that. He says to us, repent, believe, lead a holy life, serve the church. And he enables us to do just that. Augustine, you remember, said to God in his confession, that, Lord, 
give what thou commandest and then command what thou pleasest. This is right here in the second day. Let there be an expanse. And God made the expanse. Are we desiring to be more Christ-like? Do we want to be more holy? Do we want to love our church members better and pray for them more? We're in the presence of the God that affects this in our life. This expanse, its formation, is elevating our soul to God. But a second way in which it elevates our soul is the naming of this expanse. Isn't this brilliant here? And God, verse 8, and God called the expanse heaven. (laughs) Heaven. And what a word that is. We love that word. It means so much to us. It's full of hope. It's full of richness. It's full of grace and God. Heaven. And this second day, it's elevating our soul to God because we hear the word for the, for named in this relation, heaven. We know it's not the place where God dwells in his infinite glory, but it's related to it. It's above us. The Jews, as you know, 2 Corinthians 12, they had three heavens. The third heaven where God in his glory dwells. The second heaven where the planets are. The first heaven where the birds fly. In Ezekiel chapter 1, we read of the throne of God sitting on the firmament of heaven. This expanse, one commentator says, this atmosphere of earth described and called heaven here is the pavement of the holy city. It's close to it. It leads us into it. It's connected to it. And as we think of this second day, its purpose, it's lifting our souls to God. It's called heaven. As we live our lives and face our challenges and carry our burdens, the expanse is there for us to remind us, to lift our heads, to direct us to the God who dwells in heaven. The third dimension of this day, which elevates our soul to God, is what is not here. And, 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 and I'm sure you've noticed what, what is not here in this third day. That regular saying which we find throughout the first chapter. And it was good. And in this second day there is an incompleteness to God's formation of the firmament. He's not finished the task There are two separations to be made. The separation of the waters above and the waters beneath. And then the separation of the land and the sea. He's only halfway through the project. And 
The saying is absence in the second day, and it was good. And many commentators make that point. But they leave it hanging. And, and, and we're asking, so what? Well, what's the relevance of that? What's the application of that to us? It's there. It's there for a purpose. And, and we remind ourselves that in this creation week, God is our pattern. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. For God created the world in six days. In this week, he is our pattern. And so, in what way is he our pattern here? And I think again, he's seeking to elevate our souls to himself. That there is on this earth an incompleteness to our work. That each day we lay down our head, there are things we never complete, we never finish. Projects that remain unfulfilled, hopes that remain unrealized. We're not in heaven yet, we're on this world. And characteristic of our service, of our living, of our workplace, there's an unfinished dimension to what we do here. And we look to God, to that time of perfection and rest and completeness of our life's work. The second day, it aids our survival. But it also elevates our soul. It's it's reminding us and showing us visibly. and, And we look at those visible, evident Heavens, as far as we can see and know that they go on far beyond what we will ever see with telescope or naked eye. That's bringing us to God. And this presence. And this power. But thirdly, this expanse, this firmament, this atmosphere around planet Earth, it reveals or Savior. And if we stop with the, the, the first two steps of recognizing the incredible goodness of God in our survival, if we recognize that it's reminding us to, to lift our heads and, and we've been made in upright posture, unlike many of the animals whose heads are directed towards the ground, we're, we're made to look up, we're to see the heavens, to look beyond them and through them to God who dwells in the third heavens. But taking the whole of the canon, listening to the New Testament as well as the Old, Realize that this third day reveals our Savior. And it does it in in numerous ways, doesn't it? It reveals something about his incarnation. The common statement of Jesus in, in describing his mission is this. I came down from heaven. Through the exosphere, the thermosphere, the stratosphere, the mesosphere, the troposphere, I came down from heaven. 
We struggle to get the, 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 the understanding of that, don't we? He fills heaven and earth, and yet in a real way, a redemptive way, he came down from heaven. And Paul, when he wants us to serve in the church and to love one another, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he relates to us that he came down from heaven to be the servant. There'll be no task too small for us in our home, in our workplace, in our church. When we remember, he came down from heaven. And on earth, Jesus used the heavens, didn't he? He pointed us to them to understand spiritual truths. You remember in his Sermon on the Mount, he describes the sun and the the rain coming down from heaven on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And he wants us to look at the heavens, not just to to study them and and gain scientific understanding, but to allow them to be our teachers as God controls them in his providence. The sun shining on the righteous and on the evil. We can learn from the expanse. And then his crucifixion. Jesus dying on the cross and the darkness descending on the heavens as if in mourning for their creator who is rejected by mankind. And as all beheld the sight at Calvary, they saw in the heavens this phenomenon taking place as the Son of God took our sins and died for us. Elevated off the ground. Elevated into that expanse. Elevated as Spurgeon would argue as if he wasn't fit for earth or accepted by heaven. Held up there in crucifixion in the firmament. He dies in our place and suffers for us. The heavens are a place where the gospel is learned, where Jesus is seen, where mercy is spoken. And his ascension, as we read in Hebrews chapter 4, he has gone through the heavens, leaving this world, moving up from the troposphere, through the thermosphere, through the exosphere, into the very presence of God, sitting there at God's right hand, from where he will return. The expanse, it aids our survival. The expanse, it elevates our soul. The expanse, it reveals our Saviour. And as we reflect on this this evening, let us desire to give God the glory. We live in a society which worships the creature rather than the creator. And one example of that, lowering their affection, lowering their worship, is astrology. Your cronies 
Your colleagues at work read their stars regularly, make decisions on the basis of astrology. The stars are there not to be teachers. The stars are there to be revealers of the God who has made them. And you and I can plough a different furrow by worshipping the creator rather than what has been created. You and I, we can also trust and believe the greatness of God. The expanse, the spheres which are set out for us. The scriptures say, you fill heaven and earth. This Second day, it it, it widens our mind. It it makes us look up. It makes us think of space and air and and, and the expanse beyond our planet and all its wonders. And we're reminded that God fills heaven and earth. The astronauts have been on our screens in, in the past days, entering into the space station with their skills, but their One person, in one place, at one time. Far from here, incredible engineering to accomplish this. But God fills heaven and earth. He'll be with you at school tomorrow. He'll be with you at your hospital appointment on Tuesday. He'll be near to you in your family on Wednesday. He'll assist you in your interview on Thursday. He'll help you with your problem on Friday. Here is our God. He fills heaven and earth. And let us trust the goodness of God. There is no other planet in our solar system that has such a combination of gases to provide life and sustain life. Only planet Earth has the perfect combination of nitrogen, oxygen, and the other gases necessary to sustain human life, plant life, animal life. Such is the goodness of our God towards us. When we trust him, Won't we believe he really loves us and provides for us and knows our needs? Trust the goodness of your God. Psalm 115 asks, Where is your God? The nations with their gods and and idols are questioning believers and saying, where is your God? You're in some trouble. You haven't got that job interview you went for. You failed an exam. You've crashed your car. They know you're a Christian. They say to you, well, where is your God? And the answer in Psalm 115 is, our God is in the heavens. The troposphere, the exosphere, the thermosphere. He is great. He is omnipresent. But his greatness also means he is near. 
He is in the heaven.